Entrepreneurs can get stuck in their head, challenged by their thoughts, the voice in their head, and their beliefs. We chat with successful entrepreneurs who share their journey and the lessons learned along the way. The Add Valued Entrepreneurs podcast is edutaining, leaving you with actionable advice to transform your life and create a thriving business that aligns with your values and goals. Our conversations are for entrepreneurs who want more freedom and fulfillment from their work so they can live the life they desire. You deserve it. It is possible. It's time for you to add value. This episode is brought to you by the newly released book, The Entrepreneur Mindset Shift, Growth Characteristics of Success by Robert C. Peterson. Available on Amazon, or you can order a personalized signed copy at addvalue2life.com slash shift. My guest today, Kim Stewart, is a business and leadership coach and consultant dedicated to supporting nonprofit organizations, small businesses, and leaders. Kim has a passion for the nonprofit sector, spending over 30 years as an organizational leader, serving agencies of all sizes. In 2020, she decided to expand her reach and shift to supporting the nonprofit sector through consulting and coaching. By switching from staff with one organization to serving multiple agencies, Kim has been able to expand the impact she has on her community with the belief that nonprofit organizations can save the world. She helps those that are struggling to fulfill their mission and purpose. Kim Stewart shares how she empowers nonprofits to get to another level, focusing on their purpose and helping to develop the executive director and the board to work as a team to further the mission. She loves helping teams connect over food, learn to run their nonprofit like a business, and increase the impact they can have on the community. Well, Kim, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm just excited to have this conversation and, and learn more about your impact on the world. Oh, that sounds great. I love the way you put that. <laughs> so typically I just start each conversation with your chance to share how you made the leap uh, into entrepreneurship. Sure. So I worked in nonprofit for 30 years with mostly with YMCAs, so really large nonprofit organizations, but I also have done some work with smaller organizations that are more community focused, local serving local needs and uh, loved that work, probably would have never left, but the pandemic kind of pushed me out. And so I found myself in a situation where I had lots of different opportunities and was trying to decide what to do with my free time that I had very unexpectedly. Um, and just through a lot of different contemplations and conversations with people, um, decided rather than going to work for another organization, I wanted to put myself in a position to help lots of different organizations. And so that inspired me to start my own business, Athena Coaching and Consulting. And uh, you may have other entrepreneurs who went through this same thing, but I started out really broad, like I can do all these things. <laughs> and so put all that out there. And just over the last little over a year and a half that I've been doing this, I've narrowed and narrowed and narrowed and am getting to the point where I, I've kind of finally found my niche that uh, I didn't really know was where I was going to end up. But I'm really excited about where I am and the way that I'm helping nonprofit organizations. Um, and it was it's really kind of a surprise how I ended up here. So I, well, I kind so of love that. Let's explore that narrowing down and first of all for the value of narrowing down how has that helped you but then also what what is what is the story behind 
this, sure. this, this niche you didn't expect? Sure. So when I started out, I've done a lot of coaching in my career. I feel like I'm a pretty good coach. So originally I thought I would coach entrepreneurs um, and I do that. That is part of what I do. Um, but after about, about a year, I realized, and I was coaching for-profit, non-profit, whichever. Um, but after about a year, I realized that where my expertise really lies and people, when they hire a coach, they want to know that you have some expertise in what they're doing. You know, it really lies with nonprofits. And so kind of went from doing any type of small business to really focusing in on nonprofits. Um, and I do still have some for-profit clients, but have really started to focus that. And then really over the last, gosh, six to eight months, I've found that I've been working a lot more with nonprofits who are young or fairly new and who don't know how to utilize board members or even mm -hmm. how to build a board. Or once you get a board member, how do you onboard them and train them and get them to the point where they're a valuable part of the organization? And so really just, like I said, over the last six to eight months, I've really started working with those young nonprofits. Um, when a nonprofit, uh, what do they do? They apply for their state licensing or whatever they call it. I can't think of it right now. Um, when they first do that, they have to put down three board members. And usually when they're starting a nonprofit, they really want to do the thing that the nonprofit do, does to serve the community. They don't necessarily know anything about building a board. So they just say, mom, brother, friend, <laughs> we all be on my board. And that's my three people that I have to have to get my paperwork submitted. And then what they realize after they, usually after they get their operations up and going and that's solid and they're having impact, they realize that they have these people that they're either not utilizing effectively or the, the board doesn't really know what they should be doing. So they maybe are stepping over their boundaries and into operations. And so it just kind of evolves into a little bit of a mess. And it's very common. It happens to almost all new nonprofits. And um, and unless you're trained in how to utilize a board and how to effectively manage them, you don't know how to untangle the mess that you made. So I've been helping nonprofits to figure out what they want and need from their board, figure out how to untangle the maybe mess that they've created, and then how to get to the point where they have these thriving boards that are going to help them save the world. <laughs> oh, love that. And definitely understand. I've been a part of nonprofits and also am on a couple nonprofit boards. And so understand how that that startup phase of <laughs> mom, cousin, dad, or worse, boyfriend. <laughs> um, because yes. because uh, when the relationship goes away, your board goes away. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> and yeah. Very challenging. Yeah. Well, so. and what I also see is that if an organization is going to survive long term, the vision and the passion for what they're doing cannot stay with the founder because if the founder gets hit by a bus, the organization's going to dissolve. So every organization gets to a point where that energy has to be transferred to the volunteers who are truly the owners of the organization mm. and who can, through 
recruiting more board members and turning over and continuing to grow and evolve, they'll make sure that the organization stays around to do the great work for the long well, term. I've, you're, you're touching, you're touching soft spots there. So <laughs> I've definitely helped. The, the challenge I think is getting the board to own the vision that of course the person who started the nonprofit, it's coming straight out of their heart and, and their first instinct is, Oh, no one will ever do this the same way that I do. Mm -hmm. And, and, and no one. And then I've, I've worked with one nonprofit who had a basically a ghost board, but the mm -hmm. person, the director is, has run it for 20 plus years and, and trying to help them see if you don't get the board to understand the vision, they're going to replace you with an administrator or some other person and they need to have this vision and they need to feel it in their heart and they need to be passionate about it so that when they replace you as the director and they find a new director that the organization stays alive otherwise it's going to go when you go and mm -hmm. and that you know that organization was actually a pretty significant size um that i that i worked with in fact they're they're an organization in Mexico and and doing fantastic things, but it, it's all on the director mm -hmm. and, and he wasn't utilizing his board and didn't recognize the board's power to replace him if if they'd gotten together and chosen to. Mm -hmm. um, but really, he wants to retire. He wants to move. And so it's like you need a board that understands the vision, that buys into the dream and wants to carry on the legacy. Mm hmm. One hundred percent. You are spot yeah. on, Robert. Yeah. So, so challenging. Um, and I love that that work that, that you're doing. So so let's talk about the power of connection and in, in building a business, in building a board. I think, you know, one of the most important elements is is taking advantage of the board members connections for the sake of the organization. Mm hmm. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the things that one intimidates the, the founder, the executive director, CEO, whatever you want to call him or her, it intimidates them and they, they don't know how to motivate the board to be effective in that way. Mm -hmm. uh, the intimidation side is that, um, especially if they're a young leader, they see these people who are able to sit on boards and contribute money and provide connections. They see them at an, a higher level. And so they're scared to ask them to do the very thing that they joined the board to do uh, because they don't want to overstep their boundaries or, or, mm. or be insulting or I don't, you know, everybody has their reasons, but so that's one piece of it. And then once they, if they do realize, okay, this is a team, they're surrounding me to help me be successful. They don't know how to ask them to bring your circle in. Let's, let's open up your Rolodex, which nobody has Rolodexes anymore, but <laughs> open up your Rolodex and let's talk about who we need to um, nurture as a friend of the organization because they're going to care, they have resources, and they're at a place where they can help help advance the work that you're doing. Uh, so that's, that's so common, um, again, especially in young leaders. And I'm really passionate about helping those, you know, the the younger generations, the millennials and the Gen Zers are so passionate about saving the world, um, but they don't 
necessarily know how to do it or don't have the confidence to talk to the people who can help finance their work to save the world. Mm -hmm. um, so I get really excited about helping those people see that, you know, a board member, even if they're a CEO of a company, they still have passions and they still want to help their community and they still put their pants on one leg at a time and just build that relationship, nurture it. Um, you educate them about the, the problem you're trying to solve and the cool way that you're doing the work that you're doing to, to solve that problem. And you're just going to be so successful that you won't know what to do with all the success, but it's, it's getting past those insecurities or that feeling that you're just not at the, the level mm. to, engage those relationships so you mentioned you mentioned a couple of things that are pretty important in there first of all it's it's that the why of the organization right what what is the problem that you're solving and how are you making an impact in the world mm -hmm. right that being able to communicate that first and foremost is and and even for entrepreneurs in small businesses that's mm -hmm. that's at the heart of you know what they need to know mm -hmm. um, and 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 i think you you mentioned the board members have come on because they want to contribute they want to you know they want to do more than just one annual meeting and and take some notes right mm -hmm. they they want to be a part and and have an impact and the the best way that that you can empower them to do that is to give them that why statement to share and mm -hmm. and empower their friends and then of course you mentioned the person the director being able to have the confidence um, so I'd like to touch all three of those. So let's start with with confidence and generating their confidence in communication. Yeah, so it's a process of helping people just kind of realize what I what I said that that you're just talking to other people. And as soon as you break down that whatever that mental barrier is about, about the relationship and you see them as a real person and you take them out to your favorite coffee shop or, you know, I, I always like to invite people to go on a walk or a hike living oh, in Colorado. Nice and, one on one. Yeah. And then you just really connect in a different way over food, over a hike. Those kinds of things are great ways to build more genuine relationships. Um, and and once you do that, I think that the confidence follows easily because you realize, yes, this person is very important in our community, but I'm doing important work too. And they're excited about the important work that I'm doing. So this isn't a, a relationship like, you know, they're here and I'm here. This is a relationship where we're working together to solve a critical social need. And so I think the confidence comes from the relationship building and seeing yourselves as working together towards a common goal. Mm. So now let's talk about communicating that common goal and, and digging into the why the why the organization exists. Yeah, I love working with um, teams to figure out how to talk about what they do, because a lot of times they talk about the tasks that they do. Um, 
because they assume everybody knows the problem that exists out there. And so they some they oftentimes bypass that and they talk about this is the therapy we provide or this is the the meals that we provide or this is the whatever. Um, so I work with them to you know ask the so what questions. Okay, that's cool. You do occupational therapy. So what? <laughs> and 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 then they'll talk about, well, the child needs this or that, and we can provide it in a unique way. Great. So what? And so you just keep drilling down and asking those types of questions. And finally, they get to the point where, well, this is an unserved population. And it's a real problem in our community because we have all these kids that you know, can't get connected to services for this reason or that. Um, and, and then they're like, yeah, of course that, of course that's why we do this. But they don't think about uh, tying that into their elevator speech or, you know, incorporating that into how they talk about who they are. They, they oftentimes drill down to the thing they do, not the who we are and why we do it. Um, so helping them kind of develop those talking points that include include what they do and their unique way that they address this critical social need, but also including the problem that they're working to solve. Uh, yeah, I mean, entrepreneurs are stuck in the same thing, right? With the, they want to talk about the, the features, <laughs> the features yep. of, of their problem rather than you know, the benefit to the client. And of course that, that is the pain, right? What is the pain that you, you, you're eliminating in the world? Yep. And, and for some it's obvious, right? Like a plumber, obviously I unclog your drains and I stop your pipes from leaking. That Those are obvious. They don't have to work quite as hard <laughs> as, as a coach or as a speaker and, and, and other entrepreneurs who, who impact lives in, in such a different way. And I think nonprofits obviously are put together to impact lives and leave a legacy and identifying that legacy first, that mm -hmm. pain that they're changing. How are you changing the world? Mm -hmm. Well, it's not the, the, well, a, we do horse therapy. We do this, we do this, we do that. No, it's not what you do. It's why are you doing it? Mm -hmm. uh, it's so much more powerful. And I think for a, a director to connect with a board member on that level, is it opens up like, oh, we both have the same heart, right? We both, yes. that's why they're on the board. Yes, <laughs> and, yes. And, and being able to tap into that. I think for me as a coach, I, curiosity is is a great problem solver. <laughs> curiosity <laughs> mm -hmm. is is a great fixer of relationships and, and of situations. And so being able to, to, come to a relationship or come to a conversation with just this curiosity, right? For a, a director to be able to ask a board member, why why did you want to get on the board? Can open up so much opportunity and and provide so much information that says, I had no idea. Yeah. Right. And yeah. And now you can tap into, well, here's the way that you could use that or put that to, to use or man, we need to incorporate that into what we're doing. Um, and and being able to empower empower the board members to lift up the organization in the community, I mean that's exactly what the power that they have, right? Mm -hmm. Yep, exactly, uh, exactly. So good. Well, so, can I can I also just say that I love the connection that you're making with entrepreneurs because they are so similar to nonprofits in that you know, they're working to address a need in the community as well. And especially small businesses, they're usually 
looking to fix a problem for their community, their neighbors, their friends, the people their kids go to school with, um, in a very similar way that nonprofits do. You know, they're both working to fix a problem, solve a need, and it's uh, the vast majority of nonprofits, like small businesses, are small. They are addressing local community needs. And I love that connection that you made between entrepreneurs and small businesses with nonprofits. 100% agree. Well, my background is ministry. So I came from the nonprofit side and, yep. and have a great, great deal of connection in that world and recognize that they're, they're exactly the same. I mean, mm -hmm. obviously entrepreneurs are doing it to make a profit, to pay, support their family and, and pay their bills. And of course, I encourage all of my entrepreneurs that you need to be giving back. You need to be a part of a board. You need to be supporting mm -hmm. nonprofits. And, and I think non entrepreneurs are more agile than corporations. So obviously corporations can write gigantic big checks, but entrepreneurs can respond tomorrow. Mm -hmm. They can, they can jump because they've made that same leap that a nonprofit has made. They understand yep. the power of the dollar and they understand the power of quick decisions and and ability to solve problems that other people aren't willing to try to solve mm -hmm. um, because they don't realize the power they have to solve them. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So we've Love talked that. a lot about board and, and, and obviously executive directors, um, but for entrepreneurs, for for executive directors, let's let's talk about the value of character and why it's so important to to be constantly growing and constantly learning. Yeah. So, as any business leader, you know, you're always being watched, and and I love the saying that, and I can't, I'm not going to get it quite right, but your character is who you are when no one's watching, mm. um, but everyone's always watching. So it really matters what your character is, because whether you think someone's watching you or not, you are absolutely being observed. And so they're watching how you present yourself in dif difficult situations, how you respond, how you treat people you don't have to treat nicely, how you treat them. Um, and in small businesses, again, when you're serving your local community, you know, there's there's kids, there's parents, there's other community members, other business leaders all around you seeing what is what you're doing all of the time. And so, you know, whether you like it or not, if you put yourself out there as a business leader, you're going to be judged. And so if your character isn't consistent and uh, con consistent and in keeping with your brand of who you say you are and who you want to be as a person, they're going to see through that. And in a small, in a small community, in a, a, a local area, it, it's going to get around if your character is inconsistent and, and your neighbors and friends aren't going to necessarily want to do business with you if they aren't seeing you to be who you say you are. I, I believe. Hmm. Um, so it's kind of my philosophy on character and leadership. <laughs> well, and it, and I think it's, it's even deeper than that. I think, Obviously, I believe each of us puts out a vibration into the world and and people can sense it. They may not be able to put their finger on what they're feeling, but they know like you, you, you know, you walk into a room and you say, "Ooh, the vibe is wrong. Or somebody has a conversation with you and you say, oh, something's not right. And 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 I think character is reflected in in the vibration we bring to the room and you can't 
you can you can fake the words and the attitude, but you can't fake what people sense, right? What mm -hmm. people receive. Um, well and, and that can be pretty pretty powerful. So obviously, I talk to entrepreneurs a lot about contribution and the value of contribution. And so you're working with nonprofits, and so you understand the value of contribution from from the other side, right? The, mm -hmm. the value of receiving contribution and, and putting contribution to work. Um, but why is contribution so, I think it's magical, I guess is the only word I can come up with, but wh what is it about contribution that makes, I think it makes America so different than the rest of the world, right? And mm -hmm. so before I go on and on, I'll let you share. <laughs> sure, sure. Well, I believe that um, members of a community deserve the community that they're willing to invest in. And that, that means investing in uh, with their time, with their money, with their, you know, blood, sweat and tears, if that's what it requires. Um, like if, if people aren't willing to invest and make the place where they live a great one, then they, they don't deserve to live in a community that's great. And, mm. and you see that very often when a community is engaged and they're figuring out how to address problems in their community and work through them. Those are healthy, vibrant communities. And on the flip side, when a community is kind of given up and people aren't coming out and coming together to address those critical social needs of the community, there's the community deteriorates and it dwindles. And it's, I think, because of a lack of community member participation. And that, that includes the entrepreneurs, the small business owners, the nonprofits, the church groups, all of those people, mm. um, as they recede, the quality of the community recedes at the same time. Well, so powerful. First of all, I love that you use the word invest in, right? there their cont contribution is not just something for themselves, but they're actually investing in the community that they live in. The second part I want to, I want to add, I, I feel like the communities that have lost the community involvement. Sometimes I wonder if those communities understand the power that they have as, as a community and they feel disempowered mm -hmm. to solve the problems and to do anything about it. And so they, they, yeah, they live in a community that's deteriorated or it's lost um, its vigor mm -hmm. because the people feel like they don't have a voice and they don't have the power to to make a difference or do something different. And and I feel like oh, they just need to know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they just need to know that they have this great power within yeah. them, right? And that power to take responsibility to make a change to do something different and that power lies within each of us but so few actually do something with it oh that's an issue that conversation we could go we could <laughs> go, go on and on there, I think. Uh, you know i just i i hate to see people disempowered and i know that obviously our culture and um, society has plenty of communities that are disempowered and they feel like they don't have a voice and they feel like they don't have the power. And, and you and I both know that all it takes is one person to say, no, wait, I can make a change. Mm -hmm. And that one person can attract to themselves more people mm -hmm. and give more people a voice and, and lift up, you know, the voices of the community to, to bring about 
change and yeah. incredibly powerful and rapid change if if they choose to to exercise their voice. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm. Yep. So yep. good. <laughs> we will be right back after this short break. This episode is sponsored by the newly released book, The Entrepreneur Mindset Shift, Growth Characteristics of Success by Robert C. Peterson. Available on Amazon, or you can order a personalized signed copy at addvalue2life.com. addvalue2life.com forward slash shift. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe, leave a review, tell your friends. Welcome back. Let's get back to more greatness. Wow. Let's let's talk about mentors and, and the power of a mentor in in developing a, a director, in developing a leader. Yeah. Um, I've actually been involved in quite a few mentoring programs in recent years. And what I what I see over and over, first of all, that I think is amazing is that people who get to a certain level oftentimes are just so excited to help somebody else to, yeah. you know, give a hand up and, and help someone who's maybe struggling to find their way or not sure how to make decisions that are in their best interest. And just, I love what, um, successful business people are willing to give to, to help newer, younger business people step into the arena and get where they want to go. <clears throat> so I love that piece of it. Um, I, I think there's also a confidence uh, barrier to get around when it comes to being mentored, like mm. a young person, a young professional having that confidence to ask someone to give their very busy time to me to help me grow. Um, and I think with that particular barrier, it's it's understanding that first part that I talked about is that people who are successful or are seen as successful want to give back, just kind of like the board that we were talking about. Mm. You know, they come on the board because they want to give and they want to have impact and they want to make a difference. Many, many, many people who are in leadership positions want to help others get, get to where they want to go or get to where they are. Um, so I think that the, the biggest barrier is often people who could benefit from being mentored, not making that ask because of confidence or insecurities or that barrier that they don't want to take up somebody, somebody who's important. They don't want to take up their time. Um, so un again, understanding it's all about relationships. And once y'all go for a hike or get some coffee together, you're probably going to have this great relationship where you know, you'll feel really comfortable asking that person's advice and they're going to be even more committed to wanting to help you because they know you as a person and they want to see you succeed. Mm. Um, and then the, the value of that is just kind of passing the baton from one generation of leaders to the next. You know, there's no reason that our next generations of leaders need to reinvent the wheel every year or every generation. You know, um, there's a story of the cathedrals, the old cathedrals of Rome and how they were built over many, many generations. So each generation does the work that they can do and they get it to where they, they 
take it, you know, as far as they can do it. And then they have to lay down their tools and the next generation picks it up. But that doesn't mean that that next generation needs to start over. They can mm. start on what's been built and grow and um, take it to an even better place beyond what they they could have if they had to start over. Same thing with mentors and mentees. Those, those mentees uh, can build on what the, the mentors have learned and experienced and what they've gained from generations before them so that they can just keep, keep making our world a better place. Mm, absolutely. I think for me, one of the most powerful elements of, of, a, of a good mentor is the power of borrowed belief mm-hmm. that the mentor who's been down the road before can look back and say, you're you're more than capable in fact you're further ahead than i was at that point and you can really do this and the belief that you can do this and and the fact that they can help that person borrow that belief till they believe in themselves um is is so powerful and i love the the generational idea right because i don't know sometimes entrepreneurs i think sometimes nonprofits, they just think about what they can do just right now and I realize all we have is right now. So the only thing you can take action on is right now. But the legacy, the legacy of possibility of generations and, and impacting generations, um, the legacy for a nonprofit like the YMCA, where where you got started, has a legacy of generations mm-hmm. of, of impact. And and even though their their focus has changed over the years, their impact continues to grow. Um, and I think being able to think beyond our beyond ourselves, right, beyond our lifetime, to what what can this business leave as a legacy? What can what can this nonprofit leave as a legacy, or continue to to do as a legacy? Uh, can can only grow. And I think obviously nonprofits that become great are the ones that are thinking beyond the finite time, right, beyond a, mm-hmm. a small little window, but into you know, what, how does this impact my grandkids? How does this impact my great grandkids? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. I love that. So, so powerful. All right. So we already talked about your niche and and narrowing down and, 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 and how that focused, but we didn't really talk about how did narrowing down help you and your business? Sure. Um, You know, when I first decided to start my own business, I, you know, I looked to the Small Business Development Center and SCORE mm. and, and friends and colleagues for just wisdom and mentoring, quite honestly, of how I should do this. And every single one of them told me to figure out my niche. And I didn't know what it was. I, I had to kind of evolve. I didn't, I didn't go out seeking working with small, young nonprofits to develop powerhouse boards, but it evolved to that through just where I was finding the biggest needs and my best ability to help them. Um, And so it's benefited me to be able to talk about this very specific thing that I can help organizations with rather than I can help with program development and fundraising and board development and operations and this and that and a million things. So basically, if you can do everything, you can't do anything sort of mentality um, because you just can't talk about it all. But now I'm able to very specifically talk about how I can help young organizations with that transition from 
when we started up, we were doing this and our board development was haphazard or unfocused or un, um, uninformed on how to utilize them. And now we've gotten to the point where we have this board who is passionate. They are out telling our story. They are our mouthpieces and our earpieces in the community. And they help us in so many ways that we didn't even know we needed or could benefit from. So narrowing my niche has helped me uh, figure out the real specific and impactful way that I can help organizations. It's helped me talk about what I do in a more effective way. Um, and it's helped me get more clients, to be quite honest. Yeah, it's uh, it's crazy how the, the narrower your window, it, it allows you to charge different pricing. It also allows you to focus on specific clientele, which means you attract more mm -hmm. um, absolutely but it's always it's always one of those entrepreneurial things that feels like but wait i just need people with money that's everyone i can serve everyone yeah that's better yeah, yeah it's counter counterintuitive that if i narrow down what i'm doing there will be more clients but it it absolutely makes sense now that i've traveled that journey and i've kind of gotten to this point it's makes a lot of sense, but it did not at the beginning. <laughs> so besides niche, what, what's been the biggest challenge in, in doing your own business mm. and, and being an entrepreneur? Gosh. Well, I very intentionally wanted to develop a business that was just me based on where I am in my, my, working full-time career based on where my family is, based on a lot of different things. I, I, and the fact that I've led teams of up to 400 people and now I really just wanted it to be me <laughs> and I've enjoyed that, but it's also just me. And so I am a, you know, a bookkeeper and a marketer and uh, I do the thing and I, you know, schedule and all of that kind of stuff. So that's probably the biggest challenge that um, will be a next step for me. I'm going to have to, at some point, outsource a few of those things um, that I didn't see that that I didn't see that I would get to that point. I kind of always thought I'll just do it all. <laughs> and uh, I'm seeing the error of that <laughs> thought process and how I can uh continue to grow by bringing in some people who are, again, experts in things that I'm not necessarily expert in. Well, and it, and it allows you to focus on what you are an expert in and exactly. really, really drive down your wheelhouse so that you're doing what you want, what you love to do, rather than doing the accounting and the taxes and the scheduling that may or may not, you know, may just be a distraction to what mm -hmm. you really love to do. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about being able to design the business around your lifestyle around what it is that you you want. Sure, sure. So when I found myself freed up, um, I, again, I was just kind of taking inventory of where I was and you know what my resources were, what my expertise was, what I wanted to do with the rest of my working career. And I probably have another eight to 10 years what, during which I wanna work full time. 
And so that informed me in a lot of different ways. I knew I didn't want to invest real heavily in something that it's going to take me 15 years to grow to some point. And I didn't want, uh, just with some family circumstances, I didn't want to have something that required a lot of financial contribution. I wanted something that was an um, utilize the skills that I had. And so it was easy and quick to implement and start as well as, you know, my kids are in high school. So if after they're out of high school, I want to pick this up and move it somewhere else, like wherever they go, maybe, or back, I'm from Iowa, maybe back to Iowa at some point, I would have that kind of flexibility. So I really just thought a lot about how I wanted my business to look um, what I wanted to create with it, what the limiting factors of it I wanted to have, because I, I don't want to get to the point where I'm employing a lot of people. Maybe I'll partner with people once in a while, but I, I just don't want that piece because that's not where I am in my career. Um, so I made those decisions based on when, when you're freed up, you get to make all those decisions, right? <laughs> so Absolutely. I made it based on what I was thinking the rest of my working career looked like, what I was, uh, I knew about where my kids were, what I knew about, you know, what things could look like in another five years or so. Um, so that, that helped me figure out what kind of a business I wanted to have. Oh, so powerful. Yeah. It's, it's so good to, you know, make the choice, right. Rather than it's it's just being intentional. I can be yeah. intentional about what I want to build and and it will take care of. And yeah, the opportunity to outsource is actually a blessing and a benefit because I'm I'm hiring somebody. They work for me as a <laughs> under a contract whereas, you know, hiring an employee then I got to be responsible for so much more. And so exactly. outsourcing is is a completely different option to take care of things like you said somebody else is an expert in these areas. I need to mm -hmm. let them do that. Similar to the advice I assume you give an executive director of a nonprofit, you need to have somebody that does your accounting and does this while you are busy, you know, doing the thing you love to do, mm -hmm. um, whether that's, you know, rescuing puppies or saving children or educating yep. <laughs> all those things that nonprofits can do. But the director's wheelhouse is likely not the accounting, everything. scheduling, and the paperwork, <laughs> and everything, right? Very few of us are good at everything. Um, and so the ability to outsource and still have the business stay the size or build to the size that you want it to um, mm -hmm. is very satisfying. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and maintain the level of freedom that you want, right? Because once yeah. you're free, it's hard to imagine like this enslavement to a job. It really is. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about play and fun. Okay. I love play and fun. I was a recreation major. I went to school for play and fun. That's awesome. <laughs> oh, gosh. I actually, my, my brother and my nephew were in town until this morning. And so we spent three days on the ski slopes um, up in Steamboat and then in Copper. So love that. Um, I've already, already mentioned hiking. Um, I'm a runner. I love to get outside and run. Mountains make that a little harder than it was in Iowa. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm not running the distances that I used to, but um, but I don't have the humidity either. So that's nice. Just run um, downhill. Yeah, right. back up. <laughs> exactly. Hitchhike. 
<laughs> yeah. So I love just about anything outdoors. Uh, I love to travel. My kids and I are going to California next week for their spring break. We're super excited about that. Nice. Uh, I'm a reader. I love true crime, <laughs> which is a little macabre, but it's true. <laughs> so, so how does play and fun help you be a better entrepreneur? Oh, gosh. Um, well, I teach a class about balance. And so uh, play and fun is part of that balance. Like, And play and fun doesn't have to always be doing activities or it, it can be your self-care. Uh, taking a vacation is mm. part of your self-care. Um, thinking beyond work gives your, your mind that mental break that it needs. If you don't incorporate play and fun, work will just consume everything that you do, especially when you're an entrepreneur. You know, you like you said, you leave that W-2 job for more freedom. But if you don't incorporate the balance of play and fun or self-care or vacation or time away when you just block it off that you aren't going to be thinking about work, then you're not going to be an entrepreneur for very long because you're going to drive yourself crazy. <laughs> um, you're going to burn out. You're going to get frustrated and sick of what you're doing. And then you're going to have to look for a different solution, which probably won't fix the real problem of needing to invest in your, your recreation life or your self-care life. Mm. So... I can so, talk about that a long time. <laughs> nice. Well, you mentioned self-care. And so let's talk about routines in, in self-care. What what routines have helped you in, in your personal self-care and what routines do you recommend? Oh, gosh. Well, I, I only recommend ones that are right for you as an individual. <laughs> so everybody's is different. And I can speak to that from like trying to meditate. I'm not a great meditator doesn't really work that great for me. And I've tried other techniques like EFT, which is a tapping, um, doesn't work for me. What, what I really love is uh, yoga, physical stretching. Um, I, I love um, like connecting with nature. Like part of the reason I enjoy outdoor activities is because of the connection to the natural world and our outdoor spaces. Um, sound therapy in the form of music and uh and not just like soothing music but i love a good rock and roll band as well so you know that kind of thing i consider to be a great self-care when you want to set a mood when you want to change a mood um i think music is super effective for that kind of thing um nutrition is really important to me balancing eating healthy with also you know not being a nazi about it oh that's that word <laughs> I shouldn't have used that word, um, not being super strict about it. Um, so, you know, having ice cream with my kids is not something that's taboo, even though I'm, I'm really passionate about eating healthy. Um, gosh, those are the things that I, I utilize for my health, my self-care. Um, but again, I like journaling. I don't journal, but people find that so powerful. So I recommend if that's something you like to do, that you absolutely do that. Um, mindfulness and gratitude are another couple that I incorporate mm. into my self-care. But again, if that's not something that works for you, don't do it. Um, yeah. So I could, like I said, I could talk about this a long time. So let's, talk, let's talk a little bit more about gratitude and how, how does gratitude help? 
that actually is one maybe I think everybody should do <laughs> because uh, it keeps things in perspective. It it gets us beyond ourselves when mm. we realize how very, very grateful we are, even in a bad situation. Like, like we've had some bad family stuff going on lately, but I'm still so grateful for my children, for my friends, my family, for this beautiful view that I have out my window, for my ability to get outside and, and ski or go on a hike, you know, the access to nutritious food to, to strengthen my body. And gosh, if we lose, it, when, when we lose sight of gratitude, I think that's maybe when we see communities start to to slide backwards, you know, kind of full circle to what we were talking about earlier, that, you know, that's, it's so important for our, our perspective and our, our perspective of where we are in the world and how big the world really is and what real problems are compared to, you know, maybe my, more minor problems that we Absolutely. might face. I, I appreciate how you, approached even self-care or even routines the idea that you you've got to find out what works for you and and i encourage clients i encourage listeners right to you need to have a routine you need to but you need to honor your body's routine right honor your body's rhythm for sleep but mm -hmm. but recognize your body has a rhythm for sleep and that you know your random going to bed times is impacting your ability to function and work during the day and mm -hmm. impacting your morning routine and and so I think you should have a sleep routine and you should have a morning routine um, and choosing those things that, that work for you are, are so important. Um, I think recognizing your body's desire for certain foods and, and letting your body really choose rather than just stopping at random coffee and random food and random. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's, that's a sign of self-care, right? Is, is I'm going to be intentional about my time, but I'm also going to be intentional about what I put in my body and, and mm -hmm. the impact, recognizing the impact that it has on me. Um, so, so those are so important. And I think being open to letting someone choose what works for them, right? Meditation may not work. You know, I'm not diving in and doing Tony Robbins cold plunge just yet. <laughs> you know, the cold shower isn't, isn't on my nope. list. <laughs> nope. I like a good hot shower. <laughs> I'm a little older now, and maybe maybe when I was younger, the cold shower would have activated mm. my brain and gotten me awake. But uh, certainly, have routines for for protecting my mind and, and waking it up and using it to its hopefully to a, a higher level. I wish <laughs> I could, could be convinced that I'm using it to its fullest because it's right? it's so much more powerful than than any of us are tapping into. Um, all right, so. This one's going to be an odd one because you mentioned family, you mentioned everything going on. So what was your most memorable date? My most memorable date? Wow. <laughs> um, wow. That, I wasn't expecting that question. <laughs> most people aren't. <laughs> no, no. It's a business call, but you know, we got to tie some other things in. Yeah. Gosh. I had a date to the Iowa State Fair once that was oh, super nice. fun. And I love the fair. And I, it's like quintessential Iowa. And it's it was a really, really fun date. Nice. I actually got the song in my head now. I can't. <laughs> Our state fair is a great state fair. Yeah. Yep. I'm not a great singer. but <laughs> oh, That was perfect. It was awesome. 
All right. You've already mentioned some of the things you love to do in, in your free time. What what inspires you, Kim? Mm-hmm. Well, my children are very inspirational and in wanting to help raise again, the next generation of community members and leaders and people who care about our community. Um, so playing a role in raising great kids is really uh, important to me. It inspires me. I have friends and families who have just been through difficult things and to see them come out the other side in a positive way is inspirational success mm-hmm. stories. People who are just passionate about making the world a better place that inspires me. Absolutely love that. And, and of course, I love that how often you've mentioned community and, and the ways that entrepreneurs can impact community, the ways that nonprofit impact community, but it really revolves around community and, Mm -hmm. and, and entrepreneurs that, that recognize that and can create community with their business are entrepreneurs that are going to, you know, leave a bigger legacy and, and create, you know, something that's lasting beyond themselves. Absolutely. Um, so really love that. All right. What's your big dream? My big dream. Well, I'm I'm taking Portuguese through Duolingo. Yes. So um, I'm I think I'm at 470 day streak. And so I think I need to go to Brazil. And practice okay. my Portuguese. <laughs> I, I love it. Yeah. I'm I'm gonna make a connection for you that will give you lots of opportunity to practice. So awesome. <laughs> that would be great because I I could use real life practice rather than just the app. <laughs> <laughs> but it but at least you've made a commitment and you've stuck with it. So many people say, I want to learn a language and and they give up. Um I I think. There's two elements in our lives, our physical fitness, physical health, and and learning a language that are so much like the leap it takes to be an entrepreneur or to, to start a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. Those journeys are so similar, and it really boils down to commitment and consistency. And if you just if you just persistent in that, you can you can have an impact in, in your ability to learn language and your ability to, mm-hmm. to run your business. And so, so I love language learning and people that are willing to, to step out there. And I know how hard it is. I spent a lot of money to learn Spanish and, and, uh, and, and did it cross, I mean, did it cross culturally. So. Very cool. <laughs> are you fluent? I am, but I lived in South America for 10 years. Nice. So, but you can still live in South America for 10 years and not use the language. Oh, so yeah, I suppose. There's lots of people that do that. And and the, the, the communities that we were working in, that was impossible. Mm. They, there are communities where you can work and there'll be enough English people around and, and you can get away without learning the language at all. But that was not our intention and that was not our purpose. And so learning the language, I did an internship first and I was just like, oh, I need to hear the story. I need to learn. And so, so frustrated that I couldn't get to the heart. And the only way you can get to the heart is if you know their language. Um, and so, yeah, learning the language is is so valuable when you step into a community. So um, definitely love that. Your your commitment in 477 days. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> well, and there's a part of routine. 
there's something mm -hmm. in your routine that's a non-negotiable because you've yep. decided that I'm going to spend this time each and every day and just do a little bit and just the power of the self-care and and power for your brain right like mm -hmm. challenging your brain to do something that it's not normally doing it doesn't like doing mm -hmm. nope. <laughs> it's, it's so powerful so good for you way Thank to go you. thanks absolutely so you mentioned the big dream so now you've spent an hour you had coffee with with a young entrepreneur or a young executive director and you want to leave them with kim's words of wisdom what would you share mm. gosh well i think you've said it already the the consistency and the mm. commitment, like just keep showing up. Um, and I've learned, I've learned that over the last year and a half, like it's slow going at first because you have to earn trust. You have to, people need to know, love and trust you, or at least like you um, before they, they're going to want to do business with you or recommend you to someone or introduce you to an organization that could use your help. Um, and you get that kind of credibility by just being consistent, showing up over and over again, you know, going to coffee. I've drank so much coffee, <laughs> so very much coffee. Um, but, you know, things have started to gain traction. And I, I really believe it's because of consistency and commitment. And, you know, commitment means pushing yourself outside your comfort zone, going to uh, interview people that you wouldn't necessarily feel comfortable with going to events that you might not choose to go to if you weren't going down this pathway. So consistency and commitment, I think you hit the nail on the head with that. Mm. Well, thank you, Kim. Thank you so much for taking the time. Yeah. today. It's been a great conversation. Really enjoyed um, so much of the things that you're doing and the things that are important to you. So thank you for sharing. Well, thank you for including me in this. This was awesome. It was really wow. nice to meet you. It was very nice meeting you. Thank you. If you enjoyed the show, please like, subscribe, or leave a review. We have a free gift for you at addvaluemindset.com. That's addvaluemindset.com. We've collected some of the best mindset secrets shared by successful entrepreneurs on our podcast, and we want to give them to you for free. addvaluemindset.com. In our next episode, Mike McCafferty and I have a conversation about the inner critic, the voice in our head, and that for him and I both sounds like a Marine Corps drill instructor. We dig into the origin story of the inner critic and how to diffuse the power of the voice and reprogram it for our own benefit.